Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Watch No Evil. This is Matt. And this is Zach. And today we are going to be talking about the 1998 Rodriguez-directed high school horror comedy movie about parasitic aliens taking over a small town, a small school. We are watching The Faculty, and today we're going to be joined by the Horror Dads, if you guys would like to introduce yourself. What's up, guys? Thanks for having us on. This is uh, John with the Horror Dads, and I'm joined by uh, my brother-in-law here. My name is Jamie. Thanks for having us on, guys. Yeah, for sure. Thank you guys so Uh, much for coming. Yeah, thank you. Horror Dads is uh, another horror movie podcast. We kind of found you guys through the social network of horror podcasts and first question for you guys actually is we always like asking our guests how did you get into horror oh man uh jamie you want to start man yeah so i'll go first um i grew up in a pretty conservative uh household but luckily i had two older brothers who are 10 and 8 years older than me respectively so i was kind of subjected to a lot of improper content that i should not have been consuming um at an age of like five or six you know like i I always tell everyone I, I was watching The Gate, you know, when I was like six years old, um, and I still have nightmares of those moths in that jar. Thank God for them, because uh, the conservative upbringing that I had, I probably would, you know, still like watch the Smurfs, you know, religiously and uh, a lot of non-horror stuff. So at the age of 40, just watching the Smurfs, like, fucking... you know, what's funny is I still do. So I don't, I don't even know what I'm talking about. I still love the Smurfs. <laughs> it came back. So yeah, it did. Oh, man. Well, uh, I had the opposite of, uh, kind of upbringing. So Jamie's married to my sister. The most just... opposite upbringing. So I, I grew up in the, the anti-conservative household, right? That was like free love, hippie shit. Not not necessarily like watch whatever you want sort of thing but it was that whole like oh you want to watch something scary or violent like let's have a conversation about it sort of environment so my aunt was most certainly my vehicle into the genre because she's always sort of been the conduit to like connect people to things that might have like some sort of counter cultural kind of value to it I guess so she's always been the one that was like oh yeah like let's talk about this let's entertain this and uh, my mom and my dad too were like super super uh, supportive of those ideas but my aunt really like started me off uh friday 13th part two was like the first horror movie i really remember watching uh but it wasn't until 96 when scream came out that was the one that really made me fall in love with the genre we just recorded an episode on scream a couple weeks ago and now we're doing this which is very much like scream (laughs) (laughs) i mean Uh, scream light yeah yeah like i mentioned earlier i was not raised on horror at all like i wouldn't say come from a conservative household but my parents were just like not into that probably like the scariest movies i ever saw as a kid were like crime horror kind of stuff like they're they're really into like their murder mystery like csi type stuff what about like seven like straddles both those i feel that's the thing is like i think seven was just like a skosh too much for like what they were into so I, i never saw seven until i met my my girlfriend at the time now wife and that's kind of like what started my horror journey i guess your wife was or seven was no my wife oh (laughs) so i started dating this girl and like she date nights were like rent a horror movie and like watch it and we we just loved like renting like really shitty one-off movies that were just like cheesy like the like the new kind of like demon haunting kind of movies and and you know at the time like it was when all these classics were being like remade or like like the Amityville remake we we watched that and that one wasn't as bad as our our usual so I started like watching these more like demonic kind of call horror nouveau type movies with her and that kind of like got me into the genre I think the conjuring was probably like conjuring and like insidious and that kind of stuff like really got me into it this is like oh those are the movies that demonstrated to me that it can be more than just like jump scares and people getting 
hacked to bits. It's like there, there are other facets that you can kind of explore. And then that just made me want to keep looking for more stuff. It's one of those things that sort of like stuck with me as far as creativity has gone, because I think that horror movies are often the most envelope pushing uh, in terms of the actual content of the film artistic direction but also in music which is the thing that i like the most horror movies have always been at the forefront of experimentation for the scores and, and like think of the brilliance of jaws too like that's two notes right that is such an impactful score and you read all this shit about halloween and how uh john carpenter rolled all these cuts in the movie prior to doing the score which he, i think he wrote in like three days or whatever mm-hmm. people are like yeah this movie's not scary and then he put music to it and they were like oh i get it now uh so yeah no totally on board with that man it's the way that horror movies have always been sort of cutting edge in that respect and so i've always i've always loved them and i was super excited i had actually pitched the faculty before as an episode for us to do but we hadn't we hadn't come around to finding a good time to fit it in by ourselves yet so when when y'all suggested the faculty i was like yes (laughs) i get to make zach watch the faculty so i I do have to of course ask why the faculty uh well it's a favorite of ours and i think john and i were together when we were discussing uh what movie to watch and uh i don't know it was just kind of the first thing that popped out of one of our mouths and uh here we are well we actually were i think we were discussing what we were going to do for our next episode and we're doing like a back to school themed sort of cadence to that so this movie fits that bill 100 like you can't think of like high school teenage horror you know the scream era uh horror films without this being in the fold so oh my god yeah yeah i mean if you're going to talk about teachers and horror and you don't have one from this movie at least then you're silly there's even that like that scene behind the bleachers I, i feel like it's every like high school student's like secret nightmare that they get trapped behind the bleachers while they're getting closed it's an inert fear man yeah you see them hit that button you're like whoa that's what that does spiders and uh Bleachers. Those are the two things you're born with fear of. <laughs> right. Of There's no like quality assurance, assurance protocol to that where they're like, all right, get five employees to go make sure no one's under there. It's the janitor, like after fucking working 14 hours with kids being pricks to him. <laughs> all right, yep. I hit this button. And if one of those little shits are in there, they're getting swallowed up. <laughs> Yeah. You better scream. Uh, yeah. I, I think that this is such a it's such a fun movie, and after having so recently watched Scream, it feels like the intention of this film functions in a way that Scream tried to parody the slasher genre. This is trying to then parody that science fiction alien genre that has especially become popular in horror. And there are so many clear cut references to this, like the thing, the way that they're making them all share drugs. Uh, that proves who's really the alien and who's who's not because they can hide and invasion of the body snatchers. This idea of making like a, a hive mind that that can be controlled for human good. It's like the day the earth stood still. It's just like we're doing this because humans are so messed up. Like we want to fix you guys. Yeah, they define the tropes better in this movie for sure. And I I also love the the overt references that they make to certain science fiction films or stories because you know you've got the Robert Heinlein Heinlein uh, references like when Stokely's reading the book and she's talking to to the, to the what's her name Mary Beth or uh, she's talking to Mary Beth and she's like oh you're reading Double Star by Robert Heinlein um, and they also make reference to Jack Finney's Invasion of the Body Snatchers but the non-direct uh, reference to the untrained, like, hey, I'm not explaining this to you, I, is exactly what you mentioned, man, which is the the blood test scene from from the thing, which they they mimic in that in the, the drug scene when they're in Zeke's basement. Like, that's such a 
fucking amazingly tense scene that they introduce some comedy to and some fun and it's like it literally is like scream and the thing uh had a baby right and who doesn't love those two like those are two of my top five films scream and the thing and yeah. and this this has its uh has its day with that idea yeah not to mention the whole like the i think it's miss burke when he like i don't remember how he chops her head off but the <laughs> the head goes flying off and like the little tentacles come out of it and you yeah. see like the head and the body like start wiggling towards each other it's like that's so the thing and zeke and- has his like one liner before he bounces out of there too like i can't remember what he says but it's it's not you got to be fucking kidding me which is what kurt russell says but it's i think it's delilah it says like casey when did you become sigourney weaver <laughs> and, it's, yeah. and it's just like that not only does that like refer to another horror movie that they're clearly like referencing outside of just quotes but also it kind of demonstrates like the theme of transformation in this movie of like okay so like why is casey suddenly like seemingly the main character in in this plot and like he he suddenly has you know the cojones to take on aliens <laughs> rather than you know getting his balls smashed on a flagpole it really does take you through an arc of who is the main character in this movie because it starts with stan and then it immediately transitions to zeke and then it turns to elijah and then there's like a brief minute where you think like oh maybe it's stokely because of the way that mary beth and and uh stokely are interacting on the bleachers and it's like this is what is who is in charge here (laughs) there are so many concurrent arcs in the story which makes it fascinating and incredibly relatable because like you there are so many people that relate with the former form of every character and then the latter form of every character too and that like we we meant we mention all the time we got to find a better way to coin this but the way we refer to it on our podcast constantly is like the boy band effect where it's like you have the the singular like dramatized representation of like the ensemble cast like you've got the the outcast you've got the the jock you've got this you've got that and like this movie does that incredibly effectively and, and very well but it does it at the front end and at the back end both like incredibly well so it's it's super interesting yeah Yeah. really stereotypical (laughs) in a way that's like fun the thing that i don't believe though i i can kind of see stan and stokely having a relationship but the way that they try to make delilah and casey have a i was just like this doesn't that (laughs) that being said i hated the ending i i wish that they didn't have that like wrap up at the end because it was like why I guess it's to like show the whole like because the, the theme of transformation in this it's like you know they all change and that was the whole idea behind you know when Mary Beth monster thing is like doing the monologue it's like you know we want to you know transform you into something better than yourselves and like that's yeah what happens at the end and that's kind of like wrapping that up but it, it just could have been done in a more believable way i thought rather than like the cheesy like bow on top like teen drama ending you know the the nerd gets the you know the cheerleader and blah 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 it's it it just wasn't like suddenly like the relatable aspect of it was like taken out as soon as they did that they fixed the goth girl by giving her like a weird purple amish dress it, 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 it changed her in a way that was everything except believable. Let's not get Matt started on fashion. Something pastel. What do you have? <laughs> you know, what's funny though is I see it as uh, Delilah is just kind of a gold digger, and she goes with whoever is on top. You know, like yeah. it's one of the movies. And he's the high school quarterback. He's the man. By the end, Casey is the man, and he's in in the news, and he's on fucking shows. Uh, so we 
it, you're led to believe like this is a feel good story. It's really just Delilah being a bitch and like I'm not in this <laughs> all the way to it's money really town. Cool sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just mad. It's yeah, and it, it, it tries to give her an arc because it, it shows her putting down like the their school story on Casey, and it's just like, well, that's that. And the, the press come up, and he's just like, is it network or local? And she's like, probably both. And it's like, this is okay, fine. <laughs> I don't like believe that he's suddenly become, you know, this this leading man figure at, at the end just because you're telling me that he, he has done so. But well, listen, mm. when your dad is Shooter McGavin. Uh, McGavin, then you know, <laughs> yep. you you have the goal to ask that question. And it's so funny because you like if you just watched Happy Gilmore not not like you know not long ago when you watch this you only see Shooter fucking McGavin, dude. You know? <laughs> like well, it's kinda, like ugh. it's kind of like the same performance though. <laughs> it is. He's the most standard like '90s dad for sure. Like with that fucking goatee, <laughs> you're like. You look at it, you're like, that is that was my dad in in '98, like 100. percent Sure, yep. in, like the generic businessman attire. Yeah, yep. yeah, like he definitely sold cars because my dad dressed that exact same way, and he sold cars. <laughs> you know, he bought that suit jacket at Men's Warehouse, 100. Like nowhere else. AC pennies. You know, and, and you you talked about how uh, you're doing back to school. I think that it's interesting to talk about like the teachers here, how quickly it shows transformation in them because it shows joe willis going from like the hard-ass football coach that's profane and volatile to then he's just like this docile person that like tries to speak to stan really what do you want me to do when my star quarterback tells me the day before the big game that he doesn't want to play there's something up with that or whatever he says there he moves from aggressive to passive and it's so funny because there's something so much more unsettling about the passivity that he's like engaging with versus when we see him at the beginning where he's like, yeah, that's a that's a dick football coach that's like <laughs> hard on his students. And then you're seeing him act really calmly and it's like, okay, well, I don't like this. <laughs> yeah, that's that's totally accurate. Uh, and then the same with Miss Burke, the uh, Famke Jensen, I, who the whole time I was just referring to her as Jean Grey because that's still what I see. But she gets the librarian treatment where she takes off the glasses, lets down the hair, and then all of a sudden she's like the hot temptress. And her relationship with Zeke is so uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable and so inappropriate. And like we get, like he's supposed to be like graduated from high school at this point. And I feel like that was the only reason that they included that fact. Like, oh, he's a second year senior just so that they could have that like sexual tension between them and like make it a little more okay (laughs) yeah that's one of those things that even as a viewer you just kind of like set it by the wayside like okay we're just going to ignore that happened because uh (laughs) i don't want to be creeped out by this film at the end i'm supposed to be feeling great yeah Yeah. and he's like on the football team at that point which is like what why are you on the football team now you've been and like the anti-football hero this whole movie and now you're the football i like i don't get it like that was his arc like he got in line you know he didn't He was counterculture. No, I, I mean, I, I get it, man. I'm just. <laughs> that was a weird way of showing that, though. <laughs> like, they could have shown him, like, applying for colleges or something, you know, like that. That, to me, would have been, like, way more effective of, like, oh, like, Clearing now he's finally applying. Park, like, oh, I'm dumping out all the scat. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and it's one of those things, the the whole point of the movie being to this element of transportation, but also like that sense of community, like they, they mention it in 
all of its forms from like teamwork makes the dream work individualism to like the dangers of communism. So there is like an ecosystem there that is in delicate balance because Stan leaves the football team, which is supposed to be like this community. And by leaving it, he's essentially dooming them and, or Stan is, you know, dooming the football team by leaving. And then Zeke sort of comes in and not only does he sort of take over Stan's position, which restabilizes the football team, he also gets like a sense of community since he was so far the outsider. Like they all get to like move and trade places like the people who had popularity in the big groups now like find solace in individualism and personal strength and real human relationships and people who needed community or were alone or, or disaffected get a broader sense of community. Dude, I, I completely agree with that assessment because like not to nerd off too hard here, but I actually was writing my my master's thesis on the loss of identity in post-World War II science fiction. Okay. So the concept of like the blob or the concept of Jack Finney's invasion of the body snatchers is this like, hey, everyone lost their identity after World War II. We came home, we had these doughboys, everyone was getting like their GI Bill where they can build like their fucking 1400 square foot home. It looked exactly the same way. Everyone had the same personality. Everyone had the same perspective, right? Like there was like a loss of identity concept that occurred. So I feel like this movie is like the rock band. That's the counterculture to that idea. And that the piece that you find at the end is like, okay, you have one end of the spectrum, which is like the post-World War II, Jack Finney, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Like this is what we're fighting. We're, we're not going to be, you know, this is the anti-communism of like, no, we're not going to all be the same uh, individual kind of person. Uh, so you've got the Zeeks, you've got the Jock who's like really aggressively trying to find his own way. Uh, and you've all these like intense, like stereotypes that exist um, that are like fighting this quote unquote war. And then at the end, you find that like that pacified, like semblance of, of peace with it. Like, okay, we're going to meet in the middle here. You know, um, this is the extreme. This is the extreme. And the the middle is, uh, you know, Zeke's now tailback. <laughs> happy medium what's a a better representation of the benefits of communism than high school football (laughs) (laughs) smoking a cigarette and getting yelled at by t1000 you know i mean it's authoritarian but yeah (laughs) it's yeah that that was a weird weird touch but yeah i like that that thought of just the, the sense of like loss of identity and you know, I think there were like quite a few movies that were like this and that, oh, you know, we're all going to assimilate into the same kind of thing. And it, I mean, the thing, it's <laughs> the movie, the thing is somewhat like that, too, even though, I mean, we talked about it on our episode about it, but that was more of like the was it the lavender scare thing. But I think also somewhat spurred on by communist fears as well yeah that original one from what was it 58 the original thing like that is a dramatically different movie you know there's like a a, an actual physical form uh a threat because a lot of those films were propaganda internally for the u.s to say like look there's an external threat we can assemble internally to fight this right Mm. and they expound upon it further by, by by having one one woman in the movie who comes up with the cure but is the most feminine concept ever. She's like, oh, what do you do with a vegetable? You cook it, right? Like, I I've, I've fucking figured it out. I solved it. I'm the woman. Like, cook that carrot of a monster, right? <laughs> Electrocute him. Um, but it's super interesting to look at the dynamic of, like, how it evolved from 58 or whatever year that movie came out to 82, 
uh, different landscapes. And then fast forward to 98 with the faculty, like that war against like community and, and, and I guess like the baseline of like the threat of not communism, but like being overly commoditized and like just too level of a playing field as in terms of personalities, it evolves so much over those like those uh, 20, 30 year periods. It does speak to the way too that it sort of represents not only the the scare of communism, that loss of individuality, but it, it also demonizes and weaponizes against any like vestiges of, of outer expression because everyone treats Stokely so so terribly and um especially the the sort of like homophobic undertones that is stretched relatively thinly throughout the movie i don't think that it, it plays super well still but it's like what is supposedly a a physical or external attribute the like the way that she dresses is supposed to represent some sort of interpersonal or underlying conflict and the fact that she's like she reads these books and she's so enamored with science fiction is to represent like oh she's actually this like really smart average girl that gets to flower at the end much like zeke his external you know persona does not accurately reflect how brilliant he is yeah super interesting totally agree man I, <laughs> with Stokely as a character, like they, they tried really hard to make you think that she was a lesbian even before like that was brought up. Cause there's that whole scene in the classroom and like Mary Beth comes in, they're like, here's the new girl. And they have Stokely kind of like gazing at her like, oh, like, <laughs> and it's like just to plant that idea in your mind. And you do multiple times. Yeah. And, and it's like, then they, and they bring it up because uh, Delilah is like, you know, on her homophobic tirade, you know, go, goes after her and we're, oh, like maybe she is actually a lesbian. And then she says, no, I'm not a lesbian. I'm actually in Stan. It's like, okay, like what's, what's going on here? And I actually found out when I was like looking at trivia stuff about this movie, the actress who plays her actually is lesbian. Oh, shit. So she's playing a character who is pretending to be lesbian to like isolate herself from, from the community, but then actually isn't. Well, it's very complicated. She looks so dreamily at Mary Beth is because she wants to be her. She doesn't want to be her, you know, dark gothic facade, which is why she's wearing clothes that you would not have difficulty imagining Mary Beth wearing at the end. Yeah, well, then she wants to be a giant slimy water alien. So. What, um, this was written by Kevin Williamson, right? Well, yeah. he did, um, the story is actually by two other dudes, uh, but they brought him in to do a lot of rewrites and then he added some characters as well. I wonder if Stokely was one of them. Because he, Kevin Williamson, I think he he's a homosexual, right? He is, yeah. Yeah, and I, I just wonder, like, if he, on that interview on um, Shockwaves, uh, he talks about, like, how he, in Dawson's Creek, for example, like, he wrote himself in every single character in some capacity. Mm-hmm. So I just... Man, if only I could just be in that writing room to understand like what he did with what he was given versus like what was produced. Yeah, he was actually supposed to direct this as well, but then he was already going to be directing Teaching Mrs. Tingle, so mm-hmm. he passed on this one. Oh, dude. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I, feel oh, like, man. I feel like it's for the best, probably. I mean, this movie's so good. Like, if you not, like, I know Robert Rodriguez directed this movie, but like, if you showed me 10 years ago, like 20 movies and you said, okay, you just watched 20 movies and now you're going to watch the faculty and like you can pick of these 20 directors, which one directed the faculty, like Robert Rodriguez would not be in that mix. Like this, this movie doesn't feel like him and it's so fucking good. And like, I love From Dust Till Dawn, don't get me wrong. And I think he also uh, directed 
Desperado, if I'm not mistaken, which is also a pretty good movie. But like th yeah. this is so this movie is so different and the tone yeah. and the, the pace and like everything is so different. And I just I'm into it. I'm glad he did it. But I would also love to see a Kevin Williamson version of this. Something I did not appreciate about this movie is how they portrayed the teachers as like being just sad, lonely, broken down people. <laughs> <laughs> so, even though that's how i feel on the inside i don't really appreciate it being pointed out <laughs> the northeast ohio <laughs> they are no they are in ohio this was like yeah. a ohio centric film but um i do i feel like there was some social context there too yeah you know, like as teachers i'm sure you guys and i work for like one of the top 20 largest corporations in the world so like this is not my world at all and i'm speaking out of turn by even making a comment about it but <laughs> I feel like all of my friends and family who are teachers here in Ohio that have gone through their careers, you know, their constant perspective is like, things are always changing, you know, legislation is constantly changing, locality influences things for the wrong reasons. And like, I feel like the, uh, the struggles that the teachers like depict from that that initial like ongoing meeting they feel super real based off conversations i've had with people that do this mm -hmm. for a living so it's been i feel like this was my gold standard for understanding like oh this is a life of a teacher it's a struggle it's tough it's difficult like funding's a pain in the ass there are constantly like different perspectives on how how money should be spent even when it's sparse yeah. uh, mm -hmm. so that's why they appear dead inside in my mind <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, it's like the most realistic thing about this movie. <laughs> yeah, it feels like I, because I, you know, grew up in a really small town. This feels like a conversation that would happen at the high school that I went to. Like, they would be yeah. like, no, there's no money for the band. There's no money for the theater because, you know, the sports team needs new whatever. And we had uh, just an egregiously bad football team. And it would still, but because of just the sheer number of people that would be in those stands on Friday nights, of course, it's just like, that's, that's where the money goes. I think that anybody working at a university knows that pain too, because of how much money and, and time they invest into the, the sports scenes. And I think that that's, that's one part of it, but it hits deep to then see it represented in this because the whole school is so run down too. Like everything is so grimy and disgusting and the building looks like it's falling apart. But we're expected to believe that the football team is like the gold standard. It's the pride of the school. And that's why even with what little they have, they still invest into it, which is again, almost like, I don't want to say it's like a communist hierarchy or a comment on co uh, communism. The idea that like everyone else suffers while like these people are like the ruling elite. It could be capitalism related too. And the line that gets me, and they use this in The Simpsons, is when uh, the the theater teacher asks them about money for the school play, and uh, Miss Bert or uh, the principal says there's not enough money for a set this year. They'll just have to reuse the set from our town because our town doesn't have a set, which is such a good joke that you don't know unless you've seen our town. Yeah, it's like 99.5 percent of the population did not get that joke mm -hmm. but i've done our town so i knew it i was just like oh that's good yeah i wouldn't have gotten that if you didn't point it out matt <laughs> it's one of those things where like a group of us go and you're the only one laughing matt and we're all like what the fuck nerd <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's most of my experiences this is very serious they can't do the the musical that they want to do <laughs> they, they can't do the musical they have to do our town <laughs> Maybe that's why, you know, the whole, like, the the whole issue behind that, maybe that's why the faculty were, were adopted first, because they were so willing and ready for kind of a shakeup in the, the community, like, hierarchy, 
It's like, well, if everyone's equal, then the football isn't above everyone else, you know? And that's kind of like, you know, they're all part of the same being then. So I, I mean, I, I certainly like the, the namesake of the film is the faculty. So like they are, they're collectively patient zero. Right. And it starts with the coach and that song by the offspring. And like, like you're instantly in, you're like, Oh, and it starts with football, right? Like it starts with the thing that they're all kind of like trying to go against. And it's, it's funny that like the point of entry for the aliens, they're like, what does everyone like the most here? Football. Okay, great. I'm going there first. And it makes Casey's point later on when he's like, well, if your aliens are going to take over the world, are you going to go through the White House? Or are you going to go through the back door uh, in this rural Ohio town through the football team, which everybody already is like, oh, no, they want jock straps. Cool. They got it. Oh, they want more funding. They got it. Oh, the fucking coach uh, has tentacles coming out of his face and eyeballs during the rainstorm. Like, sure, let's all have tentacles, you know, so I think it's it's really cool and brilliant and how they then later sort of straw man the coach and they red herring the hell out of him because they're like okay it wasn't the principal uh maybe it's the coach i love it i've listened to a couple episodes of horror dads and what i really like about what you guys are doing over there is that you don't you don't do the classic thing of like what we do and like what every other horror podcast does of like we pick a movie and then we talk about it or you know we pick a franchise and then we talk about it it's like you guys pick like different themes i don't i don't know exactly like what you guys call them but it's the the one that i listened to most recently is the um was it, it was like the worst in in each franchise oh yeah we something did like that franchise black sheep yeah so exactly five of our our least favorite installments um and you know we're not of the of the mind where we want to like trash films um we're here to talk about loving stuff and having a good sense of community but yeah we did dedicate, dedicate an episode to our uh, our least favorite installment in some prominent franchises so that one was a lot of fun i just appreciate like the unique concept that is there it's like you know and then you'll then you'll like bring up a, a movie and be like oh yeah i've seen that one or like oh wait i haven't seen that movie before i should go watch that um so it's it's really cool but so yeah listeners go listen to horde ads if you want something that's a little different uh from your horror movie podcast and if you guys want to like give uh, Instagram handles or whatever. So you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Horror Dads. Uh, we've got all the social media handles locked in. Uh, we also have our website, which is horrordads.com. You can head there to buy merch. Then we also have a Patreon. So patreon.com uh, slash horror dads. We've got a $5 tier and a $10 tier. We actually have a horror moms segment where we bring our wives on, banter with them a little bit. And uh, it's a lot of fun. So appreciate everybody checking out anything that we have to offer. And we appreciate you guys having us on. This was a blast. Yeah. Thanks so thanks. much for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. It was great talking to you guys. I wonder, you know, you should do a horror cats uh, segment with, with your cat. See, let's see. <laughs> well, we should bring your cat on, man. He's very vocal. <laughs> yeah, he is. He has a lot to say on yeah. the subject of the faculty. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of Watch No Evil. This is Matt. And this is Zach. This is John. And this is Jamie. And we'll see you next week with another episode.